Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, actress-director Sylvia Chang gets jury duty, Liam Neeson gets cast in a film that's not a Taken sequel, Star Wars gets some Asian actors, finally, and we howl about Japan's live-action adaptation of Attack on Titan. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I am your host, Paul Fox, and joining me once again from atop the Great Wall in Hong Kong is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Hey there, Paul. Uh, how's it going? Yeah, it's going all right. You know, how are you doing? Um, okay, coming down with a bit of a thing, I yeah. guess, my throat thing. Um, you know, I guess the summer cold season isn't really over yet so i caught a bit of a bug um so yeah i might i might sound a little weird again i know it's 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 only been two months since the last time i got sick so i know what's going on that's all right i always sound weird so you're just compensating for my uh, overuse of weird voice so yeah you know it's uh, it's it's a weird time of year it's it's this weird kind of end of summer funk and i wanted to ask you when does the summer actually end for you because i mean we we've got summer as a season and it's kind of the the hot season in hong kong is going to extend for us for a while i think probably uh at least until past mid-autumn festival which is in september next month but when we talk about films right when does your sum when when do you see summer ending because i always get in a little bit of a funk around this time period because you know we're well past the big fun blockbuster summer movies for the most part and we've now got this sort of interim we've got some other you know movies coming up and i'm excited about some of them but for the most part it's gonna take a couple months before we start to hit sort of the november holiday you know film release mode and so for me this period is a bit of a it's kind of like the the you know i get into film critic depression a little bit uh, as as I sort of wait to get back into uh, a m- more exciting film time, do you do you go through anything like this? No, I mean that only applies if you're thinking about the Western release model, you ethnocentric man. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean um, August still has plenty of local films. This is when local films start really coming out. We have you know Ringo Lamb film coming out this weekend. We have um, we have a new Patrick Kong film in a couple of weeks. We have. Uh, August 27th, it, we have quite a few local films coming, actually. Um, and, oh, we have uh, Mabel Chern, the, 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 the Tale of Three Cities coming in September. Uh, um, so, you know, and then October, you have you have the uh, Chinese titles coming, hopefully. We also have the Fan Bing Bang film, Lady of the Dynasty, coming uh, in September. So, so on the local front, there are actually plenty of films. Um, so, yeah, until maybe the real funk period um, starts in... 
let's say mid October or November. November when we don't really have uh well, but November is like the the Hong Kong Asian Film Festival. So for me, it's like there is no stop to this. Like, um, but you're talking about summer. I mean, I haven't had a summer vacation since 2010. Actually, no, 2009 because I started working right after I finished school. So. So if you talk and you talk about weather, I mean, like you said, we 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 have the heat here until like well into October. So yeah, the idea of summer, um, as a summer as a film goer, Hollywood film goer, yeah, it's it's kind of coming to an end. But uh, as a film fan, it's kind of a year-round thing here in Hong Kong, thankfully. Yeah, well, I guess you know you're a mover and shaker when it comes to hopping <laughs> around, and you say you don't get to go on vacation, but come on, you get to go to film festivals. Yeah, you're jet setting all around the planet. I mean, your your life is one big vacation. Admit it, Mister Ma. No, I mean, I, I well for the new job, I'm I'm stuck here until November, so so because of the probation, so I'm missing Busan. I'm also missing uh, Tokyo this year, so I'm grounded pretty mm. much for until until next next. Uh, what is the next big film festival? I mean, Singapore is one to consider, but um, not until my next real big film festival is probably. Gosh, next uh, April, probably uh, Beijing or no, no, probably can. So yeah, I'm I'm not I'm 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 grounded here at least at least uh, for the film festival part of the of the job. Well, there you have it, folks. The irony of a man who works for an uh, airline magazine and he's grounded. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, that's neither here nor there. We uh, hope you're all having a great summer and. And I hope that most of you are not entering the the uh, era of uh, post summer funk as as I tend to be. I think for me it's a little bit be, a little bit because I so look forward to the end of October, November, December time period because for me it signifies uh, holidays starting with Halloween and Halloween movies that tend to come out around that time. Then November with Thanksgiving. Um, and and into into December, and I, perhaps that is a bit uh, you know of, from my ethnocentric upbringing. Though I do appreciate that we are having a ton of local movies. I was trying to figure out the lineup for September. We've actually got more movies than we have weeks. So huh. uh, I'm wondering if we're gonna have to do a couple additional shows to cover some stuff, or we'll have to be a bit more selective depending on the scheduling. So yeah, there's a lot of local stuff on the agenda, and for the uh, you know big Hollywood movies, we'll just have to be patient. All right, so well, let's get into some proper news though this week because we do have some interesting things to talk about and a little bit of uh, geek news related stuff to talk about as well. So let's throw it back to Kevin at the news desk. Here at the news desk, uh, first we're going to fly over to Korea, um, where there were two pretty big announcements from the Busan Film Festival. Um, first of all, the um, jury members for the festival's new Currents competition has been announced, and actress-director Sylvia Chang, who we'll see next month in Johnny Toe's office, um, will be the head of that jury. Um so that is the biggest competition that rewards um, um, films by first and second time directors. Um, the lineup for that competition should be announced next week. Um, and joining her uh, on the jury is uh, director Kim Tae-yong, a.k.a. Mr. Tangwei, 
uh, Tom Wei's husband, who directed her in um, Late Autumn. Um, Indian director Anurag Kashrap, who last made Bombay Velvet. Um, actress Natasha Kinski. Uh, I don't know if I pronounced that right. And uh, film critic Stephanie Zarek. Um, so th- those five will be deciding uh, the the winner um, of the competition. In addition, um, let me see here. Four films directed by Chang will be, um, or have been, actually have been screened at the previous editions of the festival. So Sylvia Chang is definitely a... Uh, a, a frequent visitor and uh, her latest film Murmur of the Hearts will likely play there it just got announced for a um, for, for, for screening at Toronto International Film Festival next month so yeah Sylvie Chang um, still you know still got it you know here and there I mean oh, yeah looking forward to seeing her next month in office for sure yeah, yeah, she is the writer and the uh, the star of that film opposite uh, Charon Fat. So, yeah, even for a 63-year-old director-actress, she's very active. Oh, yeah, and she looks great. I mean, still, I mean, uh, I we can go back and look at her, you know, in some of the early uh, comedy films she was doing before she moved into directing, but she looks amazing. And um, I've seen been fortunate just to glimpse her a few times uh, in person at... Uh, some festivals and, and some non-film related stuff that she was promoting here in Hong Kong. And um, just a, a, a stunning, you know, sort of natural beauty doesn't have any of that, uh, at least it doesn't show, doesn't have any of that sort of uh, plasticity that a, a lot of uh, young actresses have today. Now, Paul, did you get a chance to watch Murmur of the Hearts uh, back in uh, April? No, I did not. It's an excellent film. Um, um, I, I think I won't get in trouble by praising the film here anyway so so no no it's an excellent film and i think it's a quite a return to form um, um after what was the last from one papa one run i think so so it's it's a it's a welcome return uh to form for the uh for her um she returned to taiwan to make this film and and it's quite an excellent film and it deserves uh all the um festival play it gets um but those of you who can't wait it is coming out uh very soon on dvd and blu-ray i think sometime this month and you can buy it on yes asia oh there you go uh, former so- employer but it's okay <laughs> former <Yeah. laughs> i like the former uh all right uh you have some other busan news for us yes the other um announcement uh last week from the busan international film festival is that it has compiled a uh, list of 100 so-called you know best asian films ever made or essential asian films um the asian cinema 100 project um, brings together 73 film professionals from around the world, including film critics, film festival directors, and um, filmmakers uh, to choose, and each of them will choose their 10 favorite um, uh, Asian films ever, and I guess they're the 10 best um, Asian directors. I have the full list right here, but uh, lucky for all of us, I am not going to read it out. Instead, I will mentioned the top 11 films uh actually top 10 films but there are 11 films because of um well, wait a minute I have, ties. I have a question before we get into the list so each person submits their top 10 yes but what if like all right if uh you know say sylvia chang was on there one of the one of the selectees and uh and uh Tsui hark is another and what if they pick a lot of the same films you're not gonna have 100 right no, no. I mean, it's it's all. That's why I think there's a <coughs> a scoring process. So it's not it's not a top one hundred film list. Um, um, 
you know, I have no idea how they came up. I guess there must be a point system. So then the they're they, they're compiled or something. So mm. then because they're ranked, they are ranked from one hundred one to one hundred. Okay. Um. So I think there is some kind of ranking system going so on. Sort of like of, what uh, Kozo did when he did his lists. Yes, yeah, kind of like the the Love Esche Film Awards, right. which we'll be participating in uh, this week. Um. So anyway, the ten. The ten, the top ten films. There are actually eleven films uh, in the top ten, and I'll just read them out really quickly because these eleven films will all be screened at the festival this year. Uh, the number one film is Tokyo Story, the Yasujiro uh, Ozu film. Uh, I guess you know this will sound familiar to all of you. I mean, you, you kind of know what to expect when you talk about the best one hundred Asian films ever made. Uh, number two, Kurosawa Akira's uh, Akira Kurosawa's uh, Rashomon. Uh, number three, Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love. Number four, um, Satyajit Ray's uh, The Apu Trilogy, which is coming out on Blu-ray this November from uh, the Criterion Collection. Number five, Ho Shao Shen's A City of Sadness. Number six, uh, Akira Kurosawa's uh, Seven Samurai. I think he is the only director in the top ten to or to have two top ten films. Um, number seven, uh, Edward Yang's A Brighter Summer Day. Uh, tied for eighth place, uh, Fei Mu's Springtime in a Small Town and Jia Zhang Ke's Still Life. And tied at number 10, um, Kim Ki Yong's The Housemaid, the 1960 black and white Korean film. It is also the only Korean film on the top 10. And Ab- Abbas Kiristami's Close Up. Um, so, like I said, th- those 11 films will be uh, screened at the, the, the Busan Film Festival this year under the Asian 100 Cinema Project program and uh all 100 films and 100 directors or 10 directors whatever they'll all be uh mentioned in a special book that'll be public uh, published during the festival um i forgot to talk about the top 10 directors uh here we go top number one um uh yasujiro ozu as expected he has a top film um ho shao shen at number two abbas karistami at number three um if you count iran as asia uh number four uh, Akira Kurosawa. Number five, Satyajit Ray. Uh, tied for number six, uh, Wong Kar Wai and uh, Pichapong uh, Wira Sektaku, uh, the Thai director. And tied at eighth place, three directors, uh, Jajang Ke, Kenji Mizoguchi, and uh, Edward Yang. Uh, so, all very familiar names. Uh, uh, Paul, uh, what, have you seen uh, much many of these films? Uh, probably seen i mean i've seen seven samurai i've seen rashomon i've seen still life and i uh, city uh, or no springtime for springtime in a small town is that with the uh, tony lang no no this is the older the older version the okay. uh 1930 whatever version uh Feibu. yeah 1948 sorry yeah springtime in a small town yeah, yeah, Chinese film. But they're listing the 2002 version on the Film is Asia. Bad database there. I'm mm-hmm. going to tell someone to fix that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but so yeah, yeah I've not I've not seen the uh I've seen the remake, not the original. Okay. So I've seen I've seen a couple of them. Um uh more of uh, Mood for Love, yeah, of course I've seen that. Um uh but I think maybe a little bit less than half. And yeah, I think for me it's like, but these are all very, you know, very. It's pretty. it's a little bit weighted though. I mean, it's really. I mean, you don't see. It's very weighted to China and Japan. 
Um, more Japan. I mean, it seems like well, Taiwan. If you count yeah. Taiwan, as, there are two Taiwan Taiwan films. Um, I mean, Chinese cinema has a long history. So I mean, as opposed to Korea's history, I mean, Korea also has a very long film history, but um, their older films are not as wide or widely known. They're not as widely seen as some say like. The older Chinese films, or uh, even uh, say in say something like that, Pu trilogy. Or my my problem, my problem with this is the same problem I have with, you know, you go to these sites. I guess they're defined as clickbait today, where it's like, oh, the you know the 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 best ten whatevers of all time, right? Or the hundred best whatevers of all time, and I, I always, you know, it's like. All right, this is, you know, they, they, they left out a part in that title. It should be according to this guy, right? Yeah. Or according to this, these two guys. Or these because, 73 people. Because it, you know, it's, it's, there's always the idea of omission. You don't know, uh, you know, again, the composition of the group who did this. There's probably a ton of stuff that they haven't seen that's not being considered. That probably could be considered. So I always feel a little bit like, you know, don't give me a ranking of a hundred best some things. Just say a hundred films you should see, and here's why. Right? Don't don't even put them in order, um, because it's always so arbitrary. It's always so, you know, subjective. I could give you a list of my top, what I think the top ten Hong Kong films are, but then, you know, who am I? I'm I, there's there's stuff I haven't seen. There's stuff I don't know about. It's just. I know that the, the people on the, they, that put these things together, they're credible, they're filmmakers, and, you know, rah, rah, hooray. It, it just, you know, the, when I think about the nature of these things, that's like the 100 best of all time, it just, it, it rubs me the wrong way a little bit in the way that they, uh, that they put these things together. You know, it's a hundred, there are 100 great films, sure, I'll buy that. Uh, maybe not in this order, you know, and add on that idea that it's according to these people, and and I'm okay with it. Um, but when they try and become sort of the, the the penultimate final statement on something that's very arbitrary like art, uh, I have a very difficult time sometimes with that concept. But that's well, just me. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, it's not a final list because the list will be updated every five years. Apparently, mm -hmm. I don't know how. Um, yeah, I mean, if it's a if it's a fluid thing. If it's it's you know more organic or you know living as they sometimes refer to the a living document that gets updated that's a very interesting concept I think you know if you know that they bring in people to add to it and take away from it over time and then you can track how it develops based on the input of different people I think that's much more interesting as a concept than just you know saying here this is it this is our definitive you know final stamp. Sure, and, and, and I do partly agree that I think this is essentially Busan, um, which has undergone a very turbulent year, so to, um, to say the least, um, to try to keep, to kind of, it is their 20th anniversary, and they're trying to um, uh, play up their role in Asian cinema. Yeah. It is one of Asia's biggest film festivals, and 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 is it the most important? I mean, that's arguable. Um, is it the best? It's also arguable. Um but they are trying to play up their reputation as a very important festival in Asian cinema. So, so this is kind of their way to own up to that name. It's like, look, we're going to publish this list. We're going to define for you with our, you know, our list, our panel of experts uh, of these people from around the world and tell you, you know, these are the so-called the best 
100 Asian films. Now, is it correct? I mean, you can never say it's correct or wrong because it's, you know, like you said, subjective. Um, um, and the list itself, I mean, for us, you know, people who have seen these films or who know these films existed for quite a while, it's like, okay, we know they exist, thanks. So, uh, um, um, but I guess for newcomers or people who want to see, you know, who, who are interested in Asian cinema, um, they want to see the, the stuff that's beyond the Kung Fu or beyond the, the, the weird Japan stuff. And, you know, this, this is a pretty good list to go look at and go through it and go watch yeah, no no doubt these are all excellent films I, I wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't take any one of them away but by the same token i could think of you know one or two off the top of my head that i think probably should be there equally as well i mean i'm sure everybody could anybody who listens to this show is probably you know has enough film knowledge to say but what about this film or what about this director and, and what about virtual recall Sorry. yeah <laughs> Passion Island, come on. <laughs> Switch. <laughs> or Attack on Titan. No. <laughs> uh, I'm not going right. too far here, man. Well, check, you know, do go over and uh, hit up Film Asia and you can look at the list and, uh, you know, decide for yourself. Tell us we're crazy. Send us an email. Let us know what you think. And now on to some more exciting stuff other than just lists. Liam Neeson News. Yep, still still in Korea. Um, Liam Neeson, uh, or that dad who has a special set of skills, um, he has joined um, a Korean war film. He will be playing um, General Douglas MacArthur in uh, the film uh, Operation Chromite. Um, it is directed by a uh, by Korean director John H. Lee, who made A Moment to Remember and uh, Seven One Into the Fire. Um, he also did a Japanese film. Um, called Sayonara Itsuka. Um, and he, he just finished a Chinese film starring Liu Yifei uh, and Song Sun-hoon. Anyway, this um, film is based on a true story. It's actually a, about a covert operation called X-Ray, um, which involved a group of Korean soldiers um, who, who, who helped carry out an operation before the Battle of Incheon in September 1950. This Battle of Incheon... Um, actually is considered one of the most important um, strategic victories of the Korean War because it helped lead to the um, the, the Battle of Seoul two weeks later where the Allied forces, um, uh, the Korean and American forces, uh, retook um, the capital city, um, Seoul, from North Korean forces. So it's a very important operation. And um, since the films, the film will be centered on these Korean soldiers, um, I'm not exactly sure how much screen time Liam Neeson would get. I mean, General Douglas MacArthur was a, uh, he was the, the, the essentially the commander of the UN forces during the Korean War. So obviously it's a very important role to play in the whole battle, but uh, since the film is centered on the operation itself, I'm not, the covert operation itself and, and clearly has a Korean uh, a focus, I think um, per, I, I kind of suspect that he his his role will pretty much only be a cameo at best. Um, anyway, more details will be revealed um, next month uh, at a press conference uh, on the anniversary of the battle. The film is um, currently aimed to be released uh, next June, um, which will be around the anniversary of the start of the Korean War. Uh, Paul, you're a history buff. Uh, do you know? Are you interested in uh, the Korean War? Yeah, I'm not a big war films guy. Uh, don't really, you know, for me, movies are about escapism. I don't really like seeing 
<laughs> reality thrown in there too much. But uh, I'd be interested to see Liam Neeson, you know, take on MacArthur. I'd be curious to see what he does with the accent. And I can imagine if this film were being made in Hollywood, right, it would be all MacArthur. The entire, you know, Operation X-Ray would be him going in and saving the day with his <laughs> special set of skills, you know. And there'd be a line, something like, you know why they call this Operation X-Ray? Because I'm going to break every bone in your body or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I guess this is more of the trend, though, right, where we see uh, bigger Hollywood names coming into Asia for playing a smaller role. You were talking last time about uh, John Bingman, right, uh, with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. And, uh, you know, so this, this is, I guess, yeah, a, a trend to sort of expand out and, uh, you know, bring more eyes into the cinema by giving it that sort of broader scope. So is this something you're going to be looking forward to, Kevin? Not because of Liam Neeson. I mean, it's going to be a big war film. And I'm sure the the, the, the ace soldiers, there will be a few Korean stars in there. So so um, I'm more interested in that angle more so than the Liam Neeson angle. I really couldn't. It wouldn't be the drawing for the draw for me for this film, mm. actually. Yeah. Well, speaking of draws for films, let's get on to our last bit of news this week: Star Wars. Yay! Um, yeah, a few few weeks ago, I guess we kind of talked about the rumor that Donnie Yen will be uh, joining the the one of the new Star Wars films, and um, that became true. Lucasfilm uh, announced this week. Um, by through the release of their first photo, um, uh, that Donnie Yen and Zhang Wen are are part of the cast for Star Wars uh, Rogue One. Uh, this uh, spin-off film, I suppose, that's kind of a not part of the the, the central uh, Star Wars storyline as we know it. Instead, it's kind of a prequel um, that is set before A New Hope or what we know as Episode Four. Um, and it's about a band of resistant fighters who set out to steal plans for the Death Star. Um, if you're a Star Wars buff, you know what the Death Star is, so I don't even have to talk about that. Um, it's unclear um, what uh, the Donnie and, and John Rose will be. There's a rumor that Donnie Yen is actually the highest paid member of the cast, um, and I wouldn't be surprised. Um, even though I don't think that actually means he will have the biggest role, just because Donnie generally has a very high asking price, actually, even by international standards. Um, anyway, Yang and Jang's co-stars are Felicity Jones, Forrest Whitaker, and Matt Mickelson, or aka uh, Hannibal Lecter, I suppose. Um, the film is directed by Gareth Edwards, who last directed the American reboot uh, of Godzilla. Uh, Paul, Star Wars buff, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, this is uh, some interesting news, and I'm, I'm excited because, you know, I, it's, it's one of those properties in science fiction that's often got a bad rap for representation uh, over the years in terms of, you know, especially for... Uh, African-Americans and Asian-American actors. And I think as we've seen for the casting of the, you know, upcoming film, um, we're getting a bit more diversity in in terms of the roles. And uh, th they seem to be continuing on with, with this here. Now, is this going to be a big draw? Because, again, you know, Don, we know Donnie, we know Zhang Wen, uh, but the rest of the world you know, they may not be quite as recognizable. 
Um, I am interested to see what roles they're playing. There's been some speculation that perhaps Donnie is going to be a Jedi of some form, although that doesn't really gel exactly with the canon for this period of time. And the other interesting thing, too, is that uh, I've had some discussions online with some friends and fans. Uh, I'm interested to see if there's going to be a connection here between the current animated series, uh, Star Wars Rebels, which is taking place around slightly, but right now they're slightly before, but there's supposed to be some connection you know, between um, groups and there may be a cameo rumored or of a certain character or two. Um, <clears throat> again, it's all speculation at this point, but it's a, for me as a Star Wars geek, it's very, very exciting. Very interested to see what they do with this. Now, is Gareth Edwards, you know, who really is known for big monster movies, right? Uh, and is he is he going to be able to take this on and run with it? There's been some controversy with um, you know directors being put in into some of the Star Wars films. Uh, there was a, some fallout with uh, the guy who directed Fantastic Four. He was pulled from a Star Wars film. So it'd be interesting to see what he does with it. I liked Godzilla, um, and I think it'll be interesting uh, to see, you know, his take on the Star Wars universe. Some people have joked that what this is going to be is rebels fighting, you know, giant Rancor monsters and stuff. But uh, I, I doubt that's exactly what, what we'll be getting. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see, though, how what they do in terms of casting for villains and, and this kind of thing. Because, again, this is a very interesting time period that's, that's developed in terms of what we know isn't going on. Um, but it's still a lot of open territory for what we, uh, you know, what they could play with and, and who they could bring to bear as a, as a villain. Um, I, I think you were talking about how, you know, the world not knowing Donnie and Zhang Wen is, and I don't think they we should we have to care because clearly the move was to sort of pander to the Chinese market. So so the film, I mean, this, this will come a year after episode seven. Yeah, seven. Yeah. Um, Disney is going to get episode seven in as a, as a revenue share film, so it will make money. Um, Sci-fi does very well. Um, um in China, and if it's a reboot, um, clearly it's gonna attract a lot of fans. So, it's paving the way for pretty much a uh, for 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 this film to become a blockbuster in China. Um, and I think for Disney and Lucasfilm, that's kind of part of their strategy here. I think the one sad story in all of this, though, was when I saw this news, and when I saw the uh, they that released a promotional photo, so you actually see um, the guys together in their outfits and you know donnie's sitting there i just thought to myself poor lewis Koo, he's got to be hating donnie right now really huh. got to be hating him um because and and i i can imagine I'm, I'm just wondering if if you know they're amiable enough that lewis was like calling him up on the phone saying dude you got to get me a role get me a part get me on the set you know because uh he is a big star wars uh geek and uh, he, uh, I, he's. It's been, it's been passed about that he's wanted to do a Chinese sort of remake of Star Wars for a long, long time. So I think he's got to be just grinding his teeth right now, knowing that they went to, uh, to Donnie, who I doubt is a Star Wars geek. He probably just thought, yeah, pay my fee, I'm there, right? <laughs> uh, and and he's probably just, uh, just, uh, yeah, grinning Barrett Lewis, maybe. 
you know, maybe you'll get an episode eight. I'm pulling for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, what are your thoughts on this? I, I know you're not as big of a Star Wars geek as I am, right? But oh um, no, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. But you know, no, no, I don't watch all the, uh, I don't watch all the side stuff. I don't read the fan fiction. I don't read. But I am a fan of Star Wars. Yeah. Um, um, it, it's clear that they're trying to plan ahead and 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 do this whole Star Wars universe. And I guess Star Wars universe is not really a nice. It's too obvious of a title, right? Um, kind of following Disney, kind of following their their Marvel strategy here. Yeah. Um. So, but we have we still haven't seen Episode Seven yet. So, I can't get excited about films that are coming after that. You know, I can't get excited about yeah. eight, nine, or spinoffs yet. Um. But. And then again, you know, John Wynn and Donnie is not going to make me watch a Star Wars spinoff. A Star Wars spinoff, being a Star Wars spinoff, is going to make me watch a Star Wars spinoff. Yeah. So that's all I care about. Really. My, my, um, my hope is that they really give some substance, though, to the characters of, you know, um, of Donnie and John Wynn. And they're not just these on-screen presences that are there to fill that, that you know, name slot as it were as as we've gotten already like you know in some of the in some of the marvel properties where there have been a couple cameos really just there to you know cater to the chinese market and not having a lot of substance to them so i'm hopeful honestly that- you're looking at that photo and and you look at that photo and you see john Wynn there and actually you said that the person who's kicking you know who's being who's most pissed right now is lewis ku but i think that person is Jiang Wu, Jiang Wen's brother, because that the, the hair you really can't tell is Jiang Wen. Might as well be Jiang Wu. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, you know, to be interesting because uh, you know if the if it does take, we'll get uh, you know some pretty cool action figures, right? We'll get a Jiang Wen action figure and a Donnie action figure. That'd be awesome. I'd buy those, and I haven't bought action figures in a long time. I've got some gossip about this casting, but I have to tell you. Uh, Okay. Off the air. All right. right. Well, that's going to wrap up our news and our geek speak for this week. We'll be back to talk Attack on Titan after this short musical interlude. And we're back. Our film this week, Attack on Titan, a manga turned anime turned video game turned novel turned finally live action movie. Uh, There have been so many iterations of this property that it's sometimes hard to keep up, uh, much like happens to a lot of popular Japanese IPs just many iterations some of them connecting to the original iteration some of them not some of them existing kind of their own separate universe at times um it's good for fans of the series but also bad for fans of the series as we're going to find out with this live action uh rendition the director here is uh, shinji higuchi now he is uh, he is known 
uh, for a lot of work in uh, what we would call sort of the kaiju uh, genre of films, you know, giant monsters and things. So it seems like he'd be a good fit here. Um, he's also doing the new Godzilla. The yeah, Japanese he's, he's, he's tied to the, to the Godzilla reboot, which is coming next year, I believe. Yep. Um, he's worked as special effects director for, on Godzilla movies. He's done storyboards for things like uh, Cass Hearn. Um, he's been a writer before, done a lot of special effects work, though mostly for like Godzilla Gamera stuff. He's been an assistant director on the very famous uh, anime Wings of Animeyasi. And um, he's directed uh, a couple films, uh, most recently before this, Floating Castle, I think, uh, which he co-directed, and a remake of uh, Kurosawa's Hidden Fortress. He did The Sinking of Japan back in 2006. Um, probably the thing that got my attention was, the thing that got many fans' attention was he actually directed a car commercial for this film to, to serve as sort of like a, a, tr a, a treatment for the film. Uh, a few years back, and he, the, I forget which car it was. Do you remember Kevin? Suzuki. Suzuki, yeah. Suzuki. And so with this commercial, he had like a Titans basically chasing down the, the car, and people kind of got a little bit excited. I was still a little bit hesitant, and I, I think rightly so. Um, I guess before I get into, let me let me talk a little bit about the story. So the story is kind of set in an alternative reality world that's based on our world the uh, manga and the anime were set in germany they had a lot of sort of german cultural aspects and and things but for the film they've kind of pulled back and set it entirely within uh, this sort of alternative japan and in this alternative world um humanity has been forced into a sort of self-exile um, by sectioning themselves off into this massive kingdom that's surrounded by these giant walls. Um, and so there's sort of an outer area, a middle tier area, and then an inner area. And each of the areas is kind of separated by classes. So the outer is the like the workers, the farmers, the most poor people. Um, the inner is a little bit more middle class. And the, 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 the most inner sanctum is the elites. And the reason they've, the humanity's been forced to do this is because these giant titans come and eat people. And so they built these giant walls to keep the titans out. And the walls have remained standing for hundreds of years. And then we are taken to an event where the titans attack, they breach the wall, and they get into the first um, sort of inner realm. And that is where this story um, kind of takes us. And the main characters here... Um, are the same characters from uh, the, the manga and the anime initially. Now, I've, I've only seen the anime. Um, I've looked through a couple of the manga, but I haven't read the manga. It's my understanding that they're still going. The anime itself has only one season. Season 2 is set to drop in 2016, I believe. So the series itself is still not finished. I've read, too, that the novelizations and I think the video games go off into some different directions following different characters. Uh, but primarily, the live-action film here follows about the first uh, eight episodes of the anime and manga. So for those who've followed along with either, that gives you sort of an idea of what 
story is being told. And so primarily, uh, the film is centered on uh, three friends. Uh, the characters' names are um, <coughs> Aaron, who's sort of the main character, uh, Mikasa, who was kind of like an adopted sister of his slash love interest, and his best friend Armin. <clears throat> They're all, you know, young sort of um, street kids, basically uh, living day to day in the poor section when the Titans attack. Um, when things happen, when things go wrong, uh, they are, they're each affected differently and they end up joining the, what's called the Recon Corps. And the Recon Corps are sort of this group in charge of going out and trying to fight the Titans and take back um, the, in, the outer circle that's been taken over by them. So the main, the main three, there's a big cast. Uh, there's, an, there's a much larger cast too if you're following um, the manga, the anime. They've narrowed it down here to just sort of a core group with these three kids as the main focus. When I initially heard that the live action was being done, I heard a lot of rumors, a lot of people saying, well, they're not doing the manga. It's going to be a different story. They're going to follow different people. But th this is exactly what they're doing. They've dropped a few people. They've changed a few storylines. But it's three, these three characters, Eren, Mikasa, and Armin. So you know what happens. If you know what happens to Eren uh, as the story progresses, you know what happens pretty much in this live action story. Uh, the actors here, uh, Haruma Miura as Eren, um, you might recognize him from some other work. I think the last thing I saw him in was uh, he did one of the voices for uh, Captain Harlock, I believe, the film, uh, Space yep. Pirate Captain Harlock. <coughs> and um, let's see, looking at... Uh, no, nah, I haven't seen any of his other, his other film work. Uh, the young actress playing uh, Mikasa, uh, Kiko Mizuhara, um, she's been in some stuff. Norwegian Wood. Yeah, Norwegian Wood uh, back in 2010, Helter Skelter, yep. and uh, the Trick movie Last Stage from last year. Uh, I haven't seen the Trick movies. I've, I've um, heard they're not terrible. The, uh, the third actor playing Armin, uh, he's been in quite a bit that I think people would recognize. He's done a lot of TV drama. He goes all the way back to a small role in Returner. Uh, back in 2002, um, he's been in, he was in Nana, he was in K-20, uh, he was in the Gantz movies, so uh, he's got uh, a bit more name recognition, I think, for people who follow um, some of the more geekier releases for uh, Japanese cinema. Now, these three actors, um, they're all fine, except I think that the material they're given here just doesn't come across very well. They're all kind of mopey. They're very emo. Some of the dialogue is just very flat at times. Um, I really didn't feel a sense of connection to them, and I didn't feel their sense of connection uh, to each other. And I think that with a movie like this, the director knew what he wanted to focus on, and that was the Titans. And that'd be okay if those parts were, were okay. Um, the relationship between them changes, mostly with regard to Mikasa's storyline. So in the anime, there's a very tragic event that happens to Eren, and that, that event hap it happens early on, and it involves uh, his relative, and it's kind of very kind of gruesome, and it sort of defines him. 
And they kind of reworked that storyline to involve Mikasa a little bit. And, um, but then they undo it. It's, it's kind of really weird. She goes through, I think, one of the biggest changes from the manga anime to the live-action version. And it doesn't really feel like it makes a lot of sense. They kind of don't fully explain it. And I should say that this is a two-part movie. They've pulled sort of a Back to the Future 2 and 3 on us where it got to a certain point in the movie and then oh stay tuned for scenes from the you know the next part which is attack on titan uh i think it's called the end of the world and i guess that's coming next month so, um in japan in but japan, there's no yeah. release date in, in Hong so Kong. we don't we don't know when we're going to get it at the time of this recording but uh i'm not in any great <laughs> rush to be honest because um i this just feels like gans to me um, you know, Gantz was a very popular manga. They made it into a movie. They dropped uh, a lot. They rushed a lot in that, and they ultimately, um, it did not live up to the, the manga versions for a lot of fans. And that's kind of how I felt through this. This film glosses over a lot of details. I mean, again, think about it. The, the film here is taking you up to episode eight in a 25-episode series. So that can give you, I mean, even though we're getting a second film, right, that, that gives you an idea of how much stuff they've had to gloss over and uh, just details, character moments. There are, you know, they have some, they try and establish some camaraderie with the other members of the Recon Corps here. None of that really comes across very well because they, you just don't spend a lot of time with that. Um, so the, the supporting characters here, are not given hardly any development at all. Um, and this is done to such an extent that when bodies start getting grabbed and eaten, it's really hard to keep track of who's down, who's out, and mostly you just don't care because you've only met this character a moment ago. You've got no real basis to care about them. Maybe they're expecting that fans will know who these people are and so there's some fan service, but the truth is because they've, they've changed so much in terms of the setting, and characters who they've omitted that it's very hard for even fans, I think, to um, have strong connections to anybody. Um, so, yeah, despite these faults, though, you'd think that, all right, the producers would know that they're going to have these limitations because of the medium. You know, two-hour film versus, you know, um, eight hours of episode, if that's the point you're going up to. So they know that they're going to have limitations time-wise. And this is a problem that a lot of films face, right? I mean, you could look to um, almost anything that's going from a larger medium to this narrow medium of film. Harry Potter, right? A perfect example. People who were big fans of the books always lamented the fact that so much was cut when it came time to make the films. But I think with Harry Potter, the filmmakers always tried to at least give you a lot of visual gloss to sort of make up for that fact. And here, they don't. They don't really, um, I mean, the effects are kind of flat overall. I mean, they do try to focus a lot on the Titans towards the latter half. But up until then, it's just uh, people kind of hanging around, being very emo in their attitude towards each other. And there's just not the same kind of nuance that these characters have in the written form or in the, the cartoon form. And 
the biggest flaw, I think, is that the series itself, what it's building to, what it's about, is it's about the nature of the society that's been constructed and why it's that way. And there's a lot of sort of nuance and political aspects that are detailed in the social status of different characters and the political manipulations that are going on. And we really don't get a sense of any of that here. It's just missing or it's not given enough focus. And that's the important stuff. Because even though this series hasn't finished and they haven't revealed a lot of what the mystery of the Titans is, I get a pretty strong feeling that it's coming back to this idea of this sort of caste system. Um, and so what you can see here is some strong similarities with a film like Snowpiercer, for example, which is kind of telling this same story about people living in sort of this very confined space at different levels and having different kinds of access to amenities, goods and services and things. Um, and so basically, it's just setting the stage to put these characters in a place for a certain thing to happen, which eventually does, which I'm not going to spoil here because it's a, it's one of the bigger events of, of the, the manga and the anime. So if you haven't seen it, you don't know what to expect. So I don't want to reveal that here. But here, too, even that's a little bit disappointing. Um, the characters use this stuff to get around, make some kind of like Spider-Man it's called, uh, sometimes it's referred to as three-dimensional maneuver gear or vertical maneuvering equipment. Uh, in the film here, they refer, refer to it as the ODM, the omnidirectional mobility gear. Um, and it's like this, these gas-powered things they wear on their hips, and it makes them able to swing through areas where there's tall buildings. And why do they need to do this? It's because they need to get behind the Titans to cut them on the nape of the neck to be able to kill them. That's the only way they can kill them. Um, and so it's great, but unfortunately, we don't get a lot of time with that. Um, in the, in, again, in the longer forms, the kids have to go through hours and hours of training to be able to use it right. They don't know how to do it. We don't get any of that. They just, you know, kind of, okay, here they're getting thrown out there, and they know how to do it. And so we get to some final sequences where they're fighting with Titans and the Titans themselves. Now, the Titans... Some of them look okay, but others just look like people moving around in slow motion with bodysuits on. And I was very disappointed in that because in the series itself, I mean, if you look at the manga, the art in the manga is not very crisp. It's not very clean. Um, the art in the anime is very, very good. That's one of the reasons why I was more attracted to the anime than the manga itself. But the one of the things that's a big draw for this series is that the Titans themselves are kind of weird and grotesque, right? They just don't look like big people. The way that they move, they don't move in slow, they're not slow lumbering monsters. They actually can move with speed, but they lack agility. They like fumble and flop around a lot of the time. Um, they're very weird. They're very non-human-esque in, in the way that they move. And it's very, very creepy. Uh, and the anime brings out a sense of this creep factor that just isn't always present. There's a couple scenes where I think they get it right. Um, but in, you know, in a lot of the scenes, it's just like they look like these slow sort of lumbering giants as the kids are kind of zipping around on their gear. And that just doesn't, it didn't feel right to me somehow. Um, but ultimately, they do get to this sort of climactic scene. And 
again, I'm not going to reveal something happens. The thing that happens sets the stage to get us into the second film. And if you know where the anime goes in the first season, you get glimpses in the in the trailer of the things to come. Um, what I'm really worried about, though, is because the series hasn't ended, uh, how are they going to end this in a second film? Well, they're probably going to have to create an ending that's going to be very different from the ending that we finally get when the uh, manga ends and when the anime ends. And this was a problem, I think, with we, we've seen this before in other live action adaptations. So it's kind of par for the course. The, uh, the, the, the final battles at the end, you know, they are very reminiscent of big Godzilla movies and big Gamera movies. So for me, that worked a little bit. Um, they, it does kind of get a little bit rubber suity at times, but I'm okay with that because I like big rubber suit monsters. Um, it just doesn't feel like the Titans feel um, for me, and I think that that's where there was a bit of disengagement for me. And I mean, it's Toho, right? This is, you know, their bread and butter. This is what they've done for years. So they're pretty good at doing that stuff. Um, reviews elsewhere for this have been mixed. And one of the things I've noticed is that, so I think the review for our local South China Morning Post, they seem to dig it, but uh, over on Kotaku, they panned it. And it seems to me that people who dig it tend to be people who are coming at it fresh. They don't have the baggage, like I do, of being a fan of the anime or the manga. And so I think that the general sense is that if you know the material, you're going to be disappointed with the presentation here. But if you're not familiar with the material, you might get a kick out of this. This might be interesting and different enough and sort of this weird hybrid of genres that uh, you will find quite entertaining. Um, but to get the full story on where they're going with this, we again are going to have to wait for part two, Attack on Titan, End of the World, which coming in Japan in September, we don't know when we're getting it here. So hopefully it won't be too long thereafter. Uh, so Kevin, did you go into this fresh or had you seen uh, or read the manga? Or I, I, I don't watch anime or read manga. Mm -hmm. So I was going to this fresh and I completely disagreed with what you just said. Okay. <laughs> not not the review of the film, but what you said about people going fresh will dig it more. i not going to say more, but I completely <laughs> disagree with that. <laughs> Okay. So that that, is, that is all I say. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, you know, it's it's really a mixed bag. I, I really wanted to like it. Uh, I've got a history of being disappointed by live action stuff, though, uh, coming from Japan that's based on stuff that is already an existing property. It's an uphill battle, to be sure. Again, anytime you're taking a property that's got hours and hours of development and trying to condense it, that's already hard enough. But then when you add to that that it's going to be a limited budget we know that you know japanese film budgets are nowhere near the the scope of hollywood stuff um that's one thing i think though that the decision of the filmmakers to really change it to make it japan centric to really cut back on some of the favorite characters that's on them right and and they, they have to i mean they're making a you know it's a japanese film it's a japanese they're japanese actors they can't suddenly make them german just like they did for um thermai romai it wouldn't make sense so they they're forced to and they they addressed this and in, in public that they were pretty much forced to make it 
Japanese oriented because of what they have to work with. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I think that they could have, you know, just said, okay, it's German, but these are Japanese folks, you know, so what? And kept it a little bit more in line with the property. I think fans would have flocked to it and, and much more so than they have been. Um, but I guess maybe their thoughts were they want to go for a more general audience, not the, you know, anime audience. But then why, you know, then it just seems like you're cashing in on the intellectual property and you're not doing it justice. So uh, if you are, again, a fan of this, this is not something I could recommend rushing out and spending lots and lots of money, you know, ordering it from Japan just to get a hold of it. I'd say wait until, you know, it comes to... Uh, what's the anime networks anim animax or something um which i'm sure it's gonna you know gonna 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 hit on eventually <coughs> um i'd say because ordering stuff from japan i've been there it gets pricey uh that stuff's expensive and sadly this is just not i'd say you know go back and watch <laughs> the first season again and wait for season two next year and uh, hopefully by then you'll be able to get a you know pretty cheap um, Attack on Titan live action part one and part two box set together that won't uh, run you too much. Boo. Make better live action movies, Japan. <laughs> East Green, West Green. All right, you have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at congcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T dot com. Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash congcast, or email, eastscreen at gmail.com. You know, drop us a line. Tell us we're completely wrong that uh, Attack on Titan is the best movie ever. We would love to hear your thoughts, and uh, even if they disagree with ours. We welcome your email. You can also find us over on the Facebook, uh, East S, West S. Oh, and uh, yeah, if you're on the Facebook, and even if you're not, uh, if you want a little bit of humor, go check, go do a search for uh, D-Pity. That's, that's the letter D-Pity, P-I-D-D-Y, and uh, Attack on Titan. Uh, um, do, do a search for his name, Attack on Titan, Attack on Tokyo. And what you'll see is this cosplayer cosplaying uh, the big wall-busting titan uh, in, on, in the streets on Tokyo, running around, dancing with people. It's a riot. And uh, they should have hired him as one of the titans, is all I'm saying. <laughs> um, so, yeah, check that out. Drop us a line over on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, please follow Kevin with all what he's doing. You can't see his work yet on uh over at uh, the Cathay Mag Discover magazine, but you will be able to in a couple months. We'll keep you apprised of that. But uh, in the meantime, he is over on the Film Biz Asia site. So uh, where can they follow you there, sir? And where else can they follow you? Yeah, so every day you can read my news updates on Film Business Asia. Uh, that's www.filmbiz.asia. Um, you can also uh, read me on Twitter. I am at the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock, where you will see the most irritating Japanese commercial ever. Um, at least the link to that uh, on my Twitter. Um, and you can email me uh, if you have anything to say. Uh, say, hope you get better, congratulations on a new job, or I don't like your voice, I don't like your attitude, whatever. Just whatever. I mean, I'll take anything. And um, Kevin at FilmBiz.Asia. That's where you can find me. Yeah. I, I think uh, Liam Neeson is going to email you and say, 
I have a very specific set of skills. For for what? Like for <laughs> for typing, for making a burger. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Bring it on, decent. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> All right. Uh, our next show, episode one seventy one. Um, I'm we've got Wild City on the horizon, uh, but uh, I'm not sure if I'm gonna make it out to see that because there's a lot going on this week. Uh, that is possibly our going to be our our next uh, episode uh if i can make the time to get out and see it i do want to get out and see it uh if not we may be on to the adam sandler movie pixels i think um so one of those coming up uh, on our next show you're going at that alone paul sorry <laughs> yeah i know I've, I've 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 heard it's pretty bad but uh it's my childhood man video games pac-man space invaders donkey Kong, all that stuff i, I got it i just gotta see it just for the nostalgia just, aspect just, just play the video game there yeah yeah uh so yeah all of that and more on our next show until then this is the east green west green podcast saying don't fall off the wall and we'll see you next time see you next time everybody Thank you.